this episode of Charity Stripe Commentary, part of the Hoop Social Podcast Network. I'm joined by Mike Shear. We all know the drill. Hello. There's a huge technical difficulties getting this thing started, but I'm just so excited to get to talk to Shear because one, I get to trash his Miami Heat. If you guys listened to the last pod, you already know I'm getting ready to trash his Miami Heat, but we also <laughs> get to have talk some Pistons and I saw that you wrote an article about the Pistons. I had literally just talked to Sean about them, I think right before, right after I saw it. And I, I've been high on the Pistons. I was super high on their draft last year. I said it was the best draft um, of the whole of the whole league. I loved Cade. So what is it that made you want to write about the Pistons? Yeah, so I took a slightly different angle with the Pistons. I think the obviously the spotlight is shown brightest on their young guards who have been have the draft pedigree, have come in with the shiny names. So Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and now um, Th- the Th- Usher Thompson um, is where a lot of the attention has been focused. I wanted to kind of look at what's happening on the other side of the court for them and specifically look at Isaiah Stewart and uh, Jalen Durant, who I think uh, – might hold the key to the Pistons actually becoming a play-in team this year. Um, the front court play for the Pistons last year was abominable in general. Um, and part of that was because they just have so many guys who are all fighting for touches and shots and points, um, adding in James Wiseman and uh, Marvin Bagley, obviously the year before. And then you've got uh, Jalen, you've got Stewart, Big Beef Stew. There's just too much of a crowd there. But I think by the end of the season – uh, and with their moves in the offseason, it looks like they're settling in with uh, Duran as the starting uh, center and Stewart as the starting power forward. So we'll see. I think that's going to relegate Thompson to the bench as a rookie. Um, and maybe they won't. But every sign I've seen says that's what they're going to do. And I wanted to look at sort of like, hey, do we think that this partnership could work or not? So do you think the partnership can work? <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to whether Stewart is going to actually consistently hit three pointers. Um, he started last season on fire and it looked like he was truly going to be like this stretch four um, before he got an injury. Um, I want to say it was to his elbow and uh, his shooting percentages fell off a cliff after that happened. He missed some time, came back and they never quite found the same range. Uh, but that initial sort of six week ish stretch where he was shooting like 39% from deep um really showed the promise that he has. And if he is able to space the floor like that, because that's something that none of their guards have been able to do consistently to this point. And if they can get that kind of shooting from their power forward spot, um, they'll be able to keep Stewart's defensive versatility on the court that way. And that's something that they desperately need. Um, and if he's able to hit threes and, you know, stay on the court, w- regardless of who's around him, I think that's going to go a long way towards shoring up kind of their uh, defensive chops. They also need the rookie from last year, Duran, to uh, kind of step up in that regard as well. He is very toolsy, right? Like, I think that's what they say in baseball. He's a, a five-tool player. He can block that's shots. Right. He can defend in the post. He can get out and switch a lot on the perimeter. I think he's got pretty decent feet. His big issue was, like all bigs, he comes into the league and he can't quite react with the same speed that he needs to. He's still learning. on. He was still learning on the fly. You could see him thinking about, like, where he was supposed to go. And as he's thinking, his hands are drooping. Uh, he's not like maintaining that good defensive positioning while he's trying to figure out what's going on. And it just led to like this series of bad defensive micro moments all within one possession. Something that I thought was strange is like, he's a huge dude, very athletic, long wing, uh, long wing span. But when he's in the pick and roll, he tends to shrink up. It's almost like if you've ever accidentally microwaved a candy bar and it just goes, 
and sucks in on itself, right? With the aluminum smashing all the chocolate inside. And that's what it looks like. And I want this man to like use his length, like keep those arms out, keep your feet wide, stay low in your defensive stance. And I think he would just, just by doing that, he'd immediately become a better pick and roll defender. For me, it seems like he's too busy thinking. He's too worried about what he needs to do next, and it doesn't seem natural. I wonder if if Ivy can get a little bit better on the defensive end because you mentioned in your article that he's never found a screen that he can get over. He's also never found a, a defender that he can stop from getting around him. Uh, I think if, there, if you could give him that extra like half second to kind of process things, good perimeter guards really help uh, centers on defense. Just give them that chance to – to react to things because they do have the, they are bigger. Uh, for me, I, I like Duran. I, I've been high on him since before he got drafted. I, I look at him and again, you, you made the same comparison. I look at him as like maybe the next version of Bam down in mm-hmm. Miami that you love so much, uh, you know, slightly undersized, but he can do a little bit of everything. He can pass a little bit. He can shoot just like maybe. I think he, that's like he only averaged like a, a assist per game last year, but I think it's probably his right now. He has great vision. Skill. He does, yeah. Yes, and it's weird yes, because he reads you. the floor quickly on offense. He just doesn't quite do it on defense yet, and I think that is an unusual dynamic. Right, and for me, I I think that's part of just being uncomfortable. Uh, again, going from college to the pros, that's the difference in speed, having to process that, along with not having any defenders that can slow down anyone at all. I feel like that's just a recipe for disaster because in college, he also had defenders in front of him that could slow the guys down. It wasn't like they were coming down a hundred miles an hour. Um, I'm more worried about Stewart and Duran on the defensive end, to be honest, you mentioned how many corner threes Stewie Stewart gives mm-hmm. up on, on the defensive end when he's the power forward. I don't know what his wingspan is, whether it's a positive or a negative, but for me, and again, maybe this gets fixed when you have better, per, like I think Cade is going to be a better defender. I think he's really going to help the defense out, even if it's just kind of being in the right spot and having all of that size, like Luca, kind of how like Luca's effective-ish on the defensive end. I think Cade's going to be helped, but what do you think is going to happen on the defensive end with Cade coming back? Do you think Stewart they'll be able to kind of fix that corner three problem? Are they going to go the Milwaukee Bucks of years prior and say we're going to let teams shoot the three and just guard the paint and not let you get to the rim? Because it seems like that was what they did last last year. They you brought up their rim numbers and Stewart doesn't let guys get to the rim, but man, does he give up corner threes? <laughs> yeah, and I think I'll, so. He has a huge wingspan. I think it's like seven four. Um, so it's not like length and he's actually very nimble for being so long. I think part of the problem was the scheme to your point was so conservative because the guard defense was so bad and they basically just had to pick something to like try and, you know, hang their hat on defensively. And they wanted to keep people out of the paint and protect the rim. And part of that was because Duran is not a good rim protector at this point either at their center. And so they had everybody shrink into the paint really aggressively. And so Stewart was doing a lot of like help dig in, you know, post up at the, or like uh, show up at the nail and then have to sprint his ass out back to the corners. And uh, that's just like not really a fair thing to ask from anybody, but particularly, uh, you know, somebody who played center his entire life until last year, Um, which is another thing that we didn't really talk about this yet. But one of the reasons why I am optimistic about Stewart is that like, he's never been asked to do non-center things until last year. And I think he's still did very well defending on the perimeter and shooting from the perimeter, putting the ball on the floor and things he'd never been asked to do. I think not enough credit is given to somebody who's like doing so many things outside of their typical wheelhouse, um, you know, in, Oh, basically over the course of a summer where he had to learn it all. And so I'm hoping we'll see some improvement in all those uh, areas, but back to the defense. Um, I, I suspect that they are not going to have 
quite as uh, aggressive of a conservative scheme. Like I think, uh, which I mean, sounds kind of weird, but like you, you would see plays last year where you'd have four Pistons with a foot in the paint, um, even when they're playing as teams with three or four shooters. And I just don't think you're going to see that quite as aggressively this year. Uh, obviously, new coach, Mike Williams, is going to come in. I think he's going to try something that's maybe a little bit more middle of the road, which will hopefully cut down on allowing so many of the corner threes. Um, but part of that is going to be dependent on whether Durin is able to anchor uh, – Durin, sorry, is able to anchor the paint a little bit more effectively. And if he can, then they don't have to help him as often, right? So there's a little bit of a chicken or egg I, going on. I think we could, I think it's – reasonable to expect him to be able to anchor it better he was the was he the youngest he was one of the youngest players if not the youngest player in the draft yeah, the last youngest yeah and i thought he held up fairly well considering he was the youngest player in the draft he's a, a slightly undersized center and i thought he held up well i only expect that to get better as he gets older he gets you know he grows into his body a little bit more he gets more comfortable with just banging bodies down low and if that processing speed you know i think physically he'll be able to hold up um, a little bit better in that center position. For me, it's like you've said, it's that processing speed as the center. I think that's going to be the big key for the, to unlock him on defense and then free up Stewart and the other guys to kind of not have to be in the paint so often. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it too is going to be where they end up, like what the closing lineup ends up looking like. Because I, I don't think Thompson is going to be in the starting lineup to start the year at least, but I think he could close a lot of games for them once he gets his feet under him a little bit. And he is pretty much immediately going to be their best wing defender. Um, you look at this, like Cade is going to be an, a good team defender. I don't think he's going to be much of a point of attack guy. Um, at least he's never shown it to this point to me. He's big, but he's not super quick laterally. Um, so he's more of a guy that I think is going to be helpful with rotations and quarterbacking and making the right read and being in the right spot. But I don't think he's going to be able to like stop anybody one-on-one. He's not quick enough to guard point guards and he's not strong enough to guard big wings. And that's where Thompson, I think, Theoretically, could do both. Like I, I am super high on Thompson's defensive potential, um, and just having one reliable wing stopper is going to be very helpful for Stewart and uh, Duran's efforts down low. I think because um, there's going to be like Ivy is just going to be a mess. In them. I don't see Ivy ever being anything better than like a two or three out of ten on defense. Um, no, and like you no. don't write the book off somebody off of one or two seasons. Like certainly he could prove me wrong, but he's not big. It's not something that he's ever been known for in the past. And guys rarely, it's not impossible, but guys rarely turn around their defensive reputations that aggressively from like what they were expected to be. If they were expected to be bad coming into the NBA, it's pretty rare that they become good. Let's put it that way. It happens the other way a lot more often. <laughs> I, I feel like the best example for that is, and we praise Steph for his shooting and his offense, but the jump he's made on the defensive end from when he was younger to when Steph was in his prime I think is just that's who Ivy should be looking at for me and just thinking if I can just find a way to be not a negative all of the time on the defensive end, that would be, that would be a positive. You mentioned the fit with Thompson being the defensive stopper. I love the idea of him being the stopper, Cade being like that secondary help defender and then Duran and Stewart being the guys down low, just cleaning everything else up. I, I like the way the team is built, except, again, for the lack of shooting that you brought up. Cade showed that he could shoot in college for one year, but coming out of high school, he wasn't seen as a shooter. It was the one hole in his game. Yeah. And the three-point line is longer than the college game. I think pe people seem to forget that. And for me, I think it just comes down to the shooting. Who do you think – okay, you said you think Thompson might finish games. Who do you think he's finishing the games over? Because I assume we have Ivy, uh, Cade, Ivy, Bogdanovich, Stewart, and 
I wouldn't uh, assume Ivy is going to close. Not if they're trying to do games that. Oh, matter. I was going starters. Um, but you, I'm talking about for closing. Like I, it would not right. shock well, me I, if I Ivy ends up on the, the bench for closing. Okay, so you think Ivy would be the guy, and then K can just shift down to that point guard role. Bogdanovich yeah. can handle the ball a little bit. Um, I like that. Uh, I've become a big proponent, and you need to have two plus ball handlers slash playmakers on the floor pretty much at all times these days. I think the days of the Harden one man ISO show are over in terms of the productive offense. But I just like the way the Pistons are built. I like the way things have have come together, even if. As you mentioned in your article, they have overinvested in the backup bigs with Wiseman and Bagley trying to strike gold. I'm less worried about that, to be honest with you. I think I think we're going to see Wiseman mothballed pretty quick this year. Um, I don't I don't think he's I, like I don't have any sourcing or, or reporting for that, but everything that I can look like looking at this roster, everything I can see, he's always going to be the odd man out, or at least he always should be the odd man out. Um, I don't remember them giving up a bunch of assets for either either no. of them. And also, so it's not like a sunk cost. Yeah, he, he was a buy low, like it was worth a shot. I think everybody agreed it was worth a shot. And then, you know, it hasn't panned out and it doesn't look like it's going to. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not bullish on Wiseman's career in general. Um, and in some ways, I think it's not a perfect comparison, but I see a lot of like, there's a little bit of Killian Hayes in there too, where like he's got one skill in Hayes's case. I think it's, it's perimeter defense in Wiseman's case. It's more like, you know, post scoring where like, you see where there is upside where they could be really good at it if they're given consistent minutes, but they both just lack so much, basically anything else besides those things. And you're like, okay, yeah, I just don't see you becoming well-rounded enough to make real minutes on a team, even a team that's just trying to make the plan. I think this is the year where you're going to see Killian Hayes finally fall out of the rotation for the most part too, outside of some, you know, maybe he'll play 12 minutes a night, but he's not going to be starting games like he used to. So thank, and thank God for that. I like, I feel kind of bad, but like I would watch Killian Hayes plays last year and like every time he'd shoot, He'd miss horribly, and then he would look so sad. He would just, like, hang his head and be, like, he'd look like a cartoon, like, sad dog character, whatever, like, droopy. He'd look like droopy, and he'd just be, like, running down the court with his head set because he knew he'd sucked. He knew that sock, that shot sucked, and I, it, it made me depressed for him, and I feel like he just needs to take <laughs> a huge step back uh, in order to, for his own confidence, if nothing else. It's tough to watch. I, mean, I, I like season, a lot of things Hayes does, but, man, the shooting and the shot selection was just abominable. He, it seems like the Pistons, they bought low on guys last year. Maybe they, they just need to sell low on Killian this year to somebody, <laughs> and he just needs to go get a change of scenery. I, I, All right. yeah, like Killian, I think it's fine as like a you know third point guard. Like put him in there, have him in there when you need a defensive stopper. He's a good, he's a good enough passer, like pretty good passer, average for the position, but like still can uh, you know run the, run the offense a little bit. But the offensive limitations against starting units are just so evident. Anyway, you clearly want to move on. So that's that's enough distance. Oh uh, no, not not necessarily. <laughs> I was going to say, um, really, let's get to it. Uh, I'm high on the Pistons. If everything breaks right for the Pistons this year, um, for them, how, how high do you see they were the worst team in the East this last last season? How high can you see them getting? Because, good sir, I'm just going to let you know, I have the play-in Pistons on my bingo card as one of my bold takes for the year. I think they're going to find a way to win enough games to, to get to that 10 seed. I don't. My, I like, I see how they could, like, I think you, they have so many young guys. If three of, if two or three of them pop, then certainly like the, the talent is not the issue with the Pistons. They're just insanely young. Four of their five best players are under are 21 years old or younger. Um, or, or four of their six, I guess. Right. Because Bogdanovich is, is I think 30 may or 31, something like that. And uh, Stewart is like 22. Okay. 
But like Cunningham's 21, Thompson's 20. Duran is still 19, unbelievably. That is so um, wild. Like this team is everybody who is expected to contribute to this team is crazy young and young teams don't win in the NBA. That's really what it comes down to. This isn't like, I think they're going to be good. I just don't think it's going to be next year. And I look, the East is in a weird spot where like the East has, is bad this year again, but it's not bad because there are six teams that are trash. It's bad because all of the teams are pretty mediocre, which on the one hand means the Pistons can beat anybody on any given night. But on the other hand means they're not going to be favored against anybody on any given night either. So I, I think the Pistons are going to be comfortably towards the bottom of the East again this year. Uh, but acknowledge that, like, hey, Cunningham stays healthy and is the guy everybody wants him to be and that everybody thinks he will become. And Stewart makes a leap. And Ivy continues the improvement he showed at last year. Like, there's definitely potential for them to be competitive. I just think they're still it's, still a year away. Oh, yeah. To, to be clear, that is on my bold take, Bingo Card. <laughs> that is not on my I, – I fully expect this to happen, Bingo Card. But if Kay can bring that momentum that he's had from team U, the Team USA scrimmages uh, into the season, I, I see no reason that the Pistons can't definitely improve. Um, which brings me to your Miami Heat, mm. sir. My bold take is that the Heat are not going to get Dame Lillard, and this is going to be the season that they fall out of the play in. I don't think that it is possible for them really to fall out of the plan because here's what you're saying. If you're saying that, right. You're saying they'll come in 11th or worse, which means that you think like a lot of teams that are clearly worse than the heat are as is are going to be ahead of them because let's see who's not going to be in the plan. I'm going to, this is, this is my, this is my, I've got or the ones who aren't going to make it for sure. Who's not going to make it for sure. The wizards. Yeah. Like the we're, we're comfortable saying the Wizards are not going to make it. Uh, then that you're saying that you think like the, the Magic probably aren't going to be in there. The like, but like really after the Wizards, anybody could make a case to it. So I guess that's what you're saying. But yeah. most of these teams don't have somebody as good as Jimmy Butler. Most of these teams don't have someone as good as Bam Adebayo. And frankly, Tyler Hero is a the Heat's third best player right now. This and is me hating on Tyler Hero as good is what as is. the best player on most of these other teams. Right? Like, would you rather have? Right now, not looking forward at all, but just purely for wins next season. Would you rather have like Tyler Hero or like uh where shoot? Dude, I hate Tyler Hero. I can almost guarantee you I'm gonna pick whoever else you <laughs> Honestly, but like leading the offense, would you rather have like Tyler Hero or Pascal Siakam? Siakam as a more well-rounded player, but offensively here. Oh, Siakam 100 percent Siakam. I, don't know. I I I, I, I value scoring about as low as anyone that I know. I feel like you can find you can find shooters, you can find scores. And I I hate having to run my offense around a guy that I just I don't see as as a guy as the guy. Like I think Siakam I think Siakam but, but you're might not be around D. Tyler Hero, right? Like he's he's gonna be he might be your second option on offense, but you're not running the offense I mean, through you, him. I mean on the regular season, Jimmy Butler like are you running it through Bam? Jimmy Butler is not a regular season guy. Like he's, are you running your offense in the in the second quarter against the Magic in in December through Jimmy Butler? Yes, or Bam. Like the Heat don't do it. Like they don't do and, it that way. They're so more egalitarian, my... right? They're more egalitarian. So like Bam is used as a playmaking hub a lot. Jimmy Butler is used as a playmaking hub a lot. Tyler Hero is used as like an on-ball playmaker or off-ball shooter a lot. Like they, that's the thing about the Heat. It's a beautiful system, and you plug the parts in wherever you need to on any given night. Um. Yeah, and like That's you look, fair. I just, I'm, I'm banking on they, they've went deep into the playoffs the last few years. They lost Struz, they lost Vincent. 
their injury luck has been, I feel like, pretty pretty good, especially with their stars. And I, my take is, if I had to pick a team to fall out, I I think it I think it's the I think it's the Heat. If it's like obviously the Nets, but if I'm trying to make like a bold take, I think it's the Heat because the only bold takes are the Bucks, Celtics. I mean, is it even a bold take to say the 76ers fall out if Harden if goes out Harden and Embiid ends up asking I mean, out? I, if Embiid, Embiid is healthy, I mean, they're Embiid not going to fall get, out, but that's a right. big if. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear, I hear what you're saying in that regard. Um, I don't, the East is just so ugly this year. Like, the teams are just so bad. That's not quite the right way to say it. They're just so the, much the worse than they have so been medi- the last couple of years. <laughs> mediocre. Yeah. Yeah, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a tough year in the East, I think. And like, it's not that the teams are bad, exactly like you're saying. They're just mediocre. And like, I don't know. I'm looking. I'm looking at the. Well, at you're the you're about right my now. age. Do you remember, do you remember in the NFL when we had like that golden age of like we had Manning and uh, Rivers and Brady and Breeze and we had oh, yeah. all of these great quarterbacks. And then there was like they were great and they were young. And then there was it was like six seven years later the new quarterbacks hadn't like come on yet. And we still right. had all these great quarterbacks, but they weren't quite the same. I feel like that's the same with these teams. Like the Bucks yeah. have gotten run down with injuries and Giannis. The Celtics have traded Marcus Smart for like, it's all just, yeah. it's all the same, but just a little different. No, I think that's a, it's a good comparison. Um, yeah, man, it's the, the, the plan is going to be brutal. Like I, like some of the teams. Would you, that would I, you feel better about this bold take? One of the Heat or the one of the Heat or the Knicks will not make the play-in. Uh, yeah, I mean the math says that that is a better one. Obviously, I still think that both those teams are better than like the Hawks. I don't, I'm not I'm not a big Hawks guy. Even the trade. I don't, I I don't count. I don't count the guy. I don't count the Hawks as a team that matters. I think I am so I am so out on the Hawks. I think the Raptors are going to fall out. I'm not. I don't think the Raptors. Are, I don't think the Raptors are going to make it. I don't think the Pacers are going to make it. I don't think the Pacers, the, you don't think the Pacers are going to make, they didn't I make think, it last year. I, they think, I think, sorry, I, I meant when I said make it, I mean over the heat. Like I think, I think the heat are going to be okay. better than the Wizards, better than the Pistons, better than the Magic. I think those three are pretty un, like incontroversial. I think they're going to be better than the Raptors. I think they're going to be better than the Hawks. I think they're going to be better than the Bulls. I think they're going to be probably better than the Nets. I, I think the Heat are probably going to end up in six, seven, eight-ish range. And like I, I was higher on them last year than they ended up being, uh, but uh, they ended up as eight last year. Like it's hard for me to see them falling below so many of these other teams that don't have the top. And level I mean, talent honestly, they were Bam. they were seven last year. They weren't even eight last year. They were the seventh seed in the regular season, and they were significantly better than the eight seed. Like the the East, yeah, right, there was right. a top seven. You're right, but you're right. they just got stuck in the in the plan. Yeah, and I'm, really, I'm looking honestly, at the for final me, it's, standings, not the regular season standings. Yeah, you're right. Right, honestly, for me, it's more i I just see them. I see them fading with how with how many players they've lost over the years. I'm not sold on Tyler Hero, and I just think it, that with it being a bold take, I want it like saying the Hawks aren't going to make it. That's not a bold take. That's a take yeah, on a regular right. Tuesday. Well, you know, people um, are higher on the Hawks than me. I, I am just not a fan of the Hawks, but um, I don't know. We'll see. I think so. What happens then if they get Lillard? Let's say they have to give up Hero, but they keep Duncan and they keep Caleb Martin, and they have to give up Hero and maybe Lowry, and then Jovic and Hakez and whatever else you want. But let's say they keep. It'll be Lillard. So the starting five would be Lillard, Butler, Bam. I guess Kevin Love. Ugh. And uh, Josh Richardson. 
And then the bench I mean, would be that... Robinson, Caleb Martin, Haywood Highsmith, and then like a big drop off after those three. I mean, I think it makes them the clear one of the clear favorites with the Bucks and the Celtics. The 76ers yeah. are like that fringe contender, depending on Harden. Right. Um, and I mean, I know we I know we want to just write them off, but they were they were right there in game six of beating the Celtics last year. Like I know Embiid is so good. I, I hate to even not call them like legit contenders, but if the Heat can add Lillard, I think he puts them up there with the Bucks and the Celtics because I think that's the class of the East for me yep. personally. And but again, I think they're right there. And honestly, if Butler and Bam are healthy, I think they're still going to be, like you said, right there in the mix, that five, six, seven. Uh Thibodeau has been in New York for a few years now. I kind of expect them to go backwards a little bit just from the miles. But bringing in – was it DiVincenzo they brought in? Yeah. I think that is going to help revitalize the group. As much as we love to watch the things, we don't see the chemistry side of things. We don't see the the, the back side of it as much. I think having all of those guys who went to college together, I think that's going to really help. Uh, morale even if he's running them into the ground yeah they do seem like they're having fun and the nice thing is that like even if they're being run to the ground like it's still a pretty young team like none of their guys are super old where they should their buddies should be falling apart already right so brunson's still new to them right like randall randall whatever you want to say about randall but the dude's a tank physically like he he's doing fine um He's, he's a pretty. He got hurt when he first got into the league, and then he's just right. never been hurt since. I was about to say because he played like seventy five, seventy seven games last year, I think, and seventy two before that, seventy one the year before that, sixty four his very first year in New York. So like he's generally speaking been very durable for them, and he and just we need like the further numbers. we get away from it, those numbers that he played so many games, I forget how many games were in those shortened seasons. So like mm-hmm. some of those numbers are even more yeah. impressive. The 64 than we one, I think was right. was a 72 game year. So exactly. Good point. So yeah, just being healthy tends to get you to a lot of wins in the league. Like I think last year's Kings are a great example where not only everyone knows that they had amazing health themselves, but not as many people know that they had the best opponent health luck too, where they actually, I think they were either number one or number two in terms of like their opponents missed time for their top three players. So the Kings actually had it going, coming and going both ways uh, in health regard. Um, and I think that's something that isn't taken fully into account when we're talking Kings. Uh, I mean, this isn't really that hot a take and I don't want Cold Iron to listen to this and get mad at me, but I am not super high on the Kings, you know, being a top three seed again next year. I think they're much more likely to be a playing team than to have, than to be clear of, the plan. I think that's fair. I, I expect them to probably, I think they'll still escape the play in just because I think they, they play a good style. Um, I think they have good chemistry. And again, the regular season is such a slog. Mike Brown's a good coach. Uh, for me, they had such great luck in the regular season. And you're right. I think that's why they were able to get to the three seed along with the luck from jaw, not playing and all that other stuff that went on. Um, but Sabonis having his broken hand in the playoffs, I do think is something that gets undersold a lot. If you go back and you watch he had it for games, like when Sabonis half the year though, and he played pretty well with it during the regular season too. And I, I'm not saying it I mean, didn't yeah, impact but, him, but he's still healthy enough to play and play well. I, yeah, but the you know as well as I do the level of attention to detail game planning. If you go watch the Warriors and Kings games sure. back from last year, when they guard Sabonis, they are, they're literally not guarding him at the yeah. free throw line. Yeah. And to be, to be, he's a great passer, but if you're going to be 
a great passer on the interior, you you can't have your guy floating off and clogging up the lanes because there's no space. Like you're not at the three point line making passes. You're already in the lane. Yeah. And yeah. to have it's it was it was such an unfortunate thing, but Kings fans just didn't even care because at least they finally got back there. But I think you're right. I think um, the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Suns, Warriors, Lakers, Timberwolves, I like all of those teams better than the Kings, I think, next year. Yeah. Just looking at, like just looking at it. Clippers maybe even, if they get some luck. Lakers, did I say Lakers? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think all those teams are right. Like, uh, I see – I. I mean, who knows what the Wolves are going to look like? I'm always, every year, I am irrationally high on the Wolves, and every year I am let down. So we'll see. Uh, but, uh, well, this year they're making the conference finals. I, now that's a hot take I can get behind. I love that one. I, uh, that I'm, one, I, I'm saying that's my West one. Yeah. That's my West one is I, I think Anthony Edwards is taking the leap. I think people are giving up way too early on Cat and Rudy. They didn't have a chance to play together. Cat's yeah. just now finally getting healthy and getting in basketball shape. He's been hurt. He's had COVID. And when he has gotten back, it's not like he's gotten back and been in game shape. Like he comes back and then he's just out again. Yeah. Uh, I love Finch. I think he's a great coach who's going to be able to, to have some stuff now that he's had them in and able to build some things. And the West is really top heavy, but I, I love the way the Timberwolves are built for the postseason. McDaniels is a defensive menace and who mm. has just all of the length. Anthony Edwards ramps it up. For me, having size and length on defense, I think is going to be the next big wave of success. Because when you have someone like Jokic that can pass from any angle, you have to have guys who can recover and play defense from awkward angles. And mm. I just, if Anthony Edwards is the guy that we thought he was until the United States decided to lose to Dylan Brooks and let him shoot eight of nine from three, I see like he could take the leap. He could be the man. Cat can be the number two. And this team, I can easily, like not easily, but I can, I see a world where they can be in the conference finals. And like I know I said uh, on the last one, it's one of those things that it's like happens five times out of 100. I think the Timberwolves could get there like 20 times out of 100. I'm just really high on the Timberwolves this year. Yeah, one thing that people love to talk about with in terms of Cat and Gobert playing together, they played 1,100 possessions together uh, in the regular season last year. So small sample, not nothing, but small. And they couldn't score for shit. They scored 107 points per 100 possessions, which would have been 7th percentile for all lineups in the NBA. But nobody ever talks about the fact that they were in the 98th percentile for defense together. So when Cat and Towns were on the court together, they only allowed 106 and a half points per 100 possessions, um, which is crazy stingy. Uh, like I think most people assumed previously that this was going to be more of like a have a good offense with a rim rolling center, Cat spacing the floor and scoring, and then like Gobert does enough on defense to keep them afloat. And in their very limited time together, it was sort of the opposite. It was like they were a crazy lockdown defense that just couldn't score for anything. Um, Having Conley passing the ball to Gobert and Jaden McDaniels instead, D'Angelo Russell is going to solve a lot of those offensive issues, I think. Um, just Cat being better, like you said, him, like better physically and better mentally and better overall is going to be huge for them. Like I, And I think Jaden McDaniels started to tap into something on offense last year in the second half where he started to be a little more aggressive, started to show off some of the stuff people expected from him coming out of college, coming from Washington. Here in two years, is he just going to be the next Mikel Bridges? I think his ceiling is high. I, listen, okay, so you want hot takes. My hot take here is I think that Mikhail Bridges is probably one of the most 
overrated perimeter defenders in the NBA. And I say that as someone who put him, I want to say second team all defense a couple of years ago. And I thought he was really good. And last year I thought he fell off like same as Marcus Smart. I thought they fell off cliffs defensively. Mikhail's was understandable because Mikhail suddenly went from Phoenix to Brooklyn and became like ball in his hands all the time, like trying to figure shit out on offense, like wasn't necessarily capable or asked to do as much on defense. And I thought he fell off a cliff defensively. And uh, I think Jaden right now is a way better defender than Mikhail. And I think frankly, last year was better than any of Mikhail's best years defensively. Um, Mikhail has proven to be better on offense so far because he's older and he's been given a lot more opportunity. I think Jaden could be at least as good as Mikhail on offense. And I think he will end up being better as a player and on offense. Cause I already think he's better on defense. So uh, people really love Mikhail Bridges online. And I like, anytime I say something with even a, a whiff of like, I don't even want to say dislike. I think Mikhail Bridges is really good. And I think he's a really good defender. I just don't think he's a generational perimeter stopper. Like so many people online seem to think I've seen him get out. People say outrageous things about this guy. I'm like, yeah, he's really good. Like I'd be happy if he was on my team. This isn't prime Scotty Pippen. We're talking about here. I don't know. That, that's that's like a, a the one thing that I seem to be like just completely at odds with the rest of the world against. Oh, I don't remember how we fantastic. got there. What, what were we talking about before that? I, I got. I asked you if uh, um, it's Jaden that's in Minnesota, right? Yeah, yeah. Jaden McDaniel. I asked you if Jaden McDaniel's here in two years. He's just going to be the next Mikael Bridges in the oh, sense yes. that right. everyone talks about him as the three and D guy. Like we had Bruce, Bruce yes. Bowen from the Spurs before, and it seemed Tony Allen. And throughout the years, we have these three and D just, you know, stars for lack of a better word. And I feel like McDaniel's is going to be that guy here in two years. He's going to sign a contract that's outrageous. And then all of a sudden everybody's going to actually look and see why he got that contract. And everyone's going to be like, Oh, it's because he is, as the kids say, Mikel Bridges these days. My God. He's, I think he's better. And I think, um, I think that honestly, he... that's where I was leading you. I wanted you to get there because I also <laughs> think that he can be better than Bridges. I think Bridges going to Brooklyn and having to be the number one offensive option has shown that his role really is the three and D plus plus. Like, yeah. And maybe um, that's all Jaden's is going to be too. Like, I think Bridges is like a better, more comfortable shooter right now. And I think that matters a lot. And I think Bridges is also a very good cutter. Um, in a way that Jaden is de- growing into. But I think Jaden has a lot more promise just by being a lot more athletic and a lot bigger. And I think Jaden's feel for the game uh, is going to eventually be higher. Again, we're comparing two players with different career trajectories. And I think Mikhail has, to his credit, developed really well along all these things pretty linearly year after year. And I think Jaden has done the same. And I think Jaden, as he gets a couple more years older, will eventually surpass that three and D label. And I think there is, I don't know if he will ever get here because um, he's he's got a nice handle. He's got a nice feel for the game, but he's not super well, he's not super fluid on offense yet, if that makes sense. A lot of the times it feels like he's pressing buttons on like a 2K controller where he's like, here's, you know, here's the in and out dribble. Here's the button to pass to the corner. Here's the button to shoot a floater. And it's not necessarily as fluid as it could be, but I think he can get there. Like, I think that's something that he has improved dramatically. And as he's gotten the ball a little bit more, uh, like, People talk about the D'Angelo Russell, Mike Conley thing and how much it made a difference for Gobert. Like D'Angelo Russell was like very frustrated with Gobert's bad hands and inability to be in the right places at times. And he was not quiet about that. And Conley obviously is good chemistry with Gobert from their time in Utah. But I think it actually made almost as big of an impact on Jaden. I think just having a more willing ball ball mover to put Jaden in the right spots and find him. And even to cede a little bit of playmaking to Jaden. 
I think that was huge for his development. And I'm curious to see how far he can take it this year on a team that when Cat's healthy, when Edwards is healthy, like they're just going to absorb so much of the offensive share. I don't know what that leaves left over for Jaden. And last thought, because I've said a lot of words in a row, some of them contradictory, but I think uh, there is definitely a, like I say in one my article about Jaden McDaniels, like there's a circular reference air a little bit in Minnesota for people who do a lot of Excel work. Like they'll like that one. Basically, uh, the team's willingness to move on from Cat, I think, is going to be highly tied to how much Jaden McDaniels develops. And if he looks like a guy who can be a legitimate second offensive option on offense next to Edwards, I think that that would make them much more likely to move on from Cat. The flip side of that is, like, they're not going to know if Jaden can be that guy unless he's given a lot more opportunity, which he won't get while Cat is there. And so, like, you have this weird little question where it's like, we think maybe Jaden could eventually be the number two next to Edwards, but we won't be able to prove it unless we get rid of Cat. And then once we've gotten rid of Cat, then we're screwed if Jaden can't become that guy, you know? So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with Cat, but I am super excited to find out. Because like you, I'm not totally convinced that Cat can't work in Minnesota. Like, I actually think the fit still does make sense. And I saw enough last year to think that, like, maybe there could be some juice left to squeeze when Cat comes in healthier and happier and everything like that. So I'm not giving up on that, but I'm saying like J- if Jaden looks amazing out of the box mm, or out of the gates, then maybe you do think about shipping Cat out. When was – do you know when Conley got traded to the uh, Timberwolves? It was close to the deadline. I don't even know when the deadline was last year. February, I don't know, something. Uh, it looks like Cat they was were traded. Drawn I, was, I wanted to see how the numbers looked um, after Conley because – you're right, and you brought up uh, guys needing basically yeah, needing playmakers. Yeah, Conley, Conley coming in and being able to put McDaniel's, Gobert, and other guys in positions to score easily to give them, you know, in positions to succeed. I think that's going to be huge for that team because uh, you said McDaniel's might never outgrow that three and D moniker. I, when I said three and D plus plus, I for me that's what I see for him. When I say plus plus, I mean a guy who he can do a little bit on the offense. Like he can create a little bit. He can pass a little bit, but he's not someone you want to have the, have those them doing those roles be something your offense is dependent on. Um, Like you don't want him to have to play make, but he can play make a little bit type of situation is where, and again, I'm thinking on a title contending team. Sure. He could, he could do the Jeremy Grant and go sign with the, you know, whoever the Pistons are now uh, from back then and go be a guy who gets a bunch of, of usage. But for me, I, I just see him as this new wave lockdown defender. Who's going to be super versatile. And honestly, as much as me and you both have talked, we think Kat and Gobert can work together. He's going to be a great four beside either of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the other things with the Wolves is, like, they actually have pretty good depth now. And more importantly for me, like, I think they have a lot of pieces that can be very positionally versatile. And that is super important for me when I think about what's the recipe for playoff success. It's having guys who can slide up and down a position. And I think the great – Example of that last year is Cleveland getting just molly whopped by the Knicks in the first round, which was, you know, a little bit like people thought that was a pretty even series coming in. And then obviously it was not even at all. And I, people are like, oh, it's because the Cavs couldn't find the fifth starter. And what I said was, that's not exactly true. That is the outcome because their other four guys could only play those exact positions. Allen can only play center. Mobley can only play power forward. 
Garland and Mitchell, like obviously they both can play on and off the ball, but they can only be a small guard, like a one or a two, right? Neither of them can go up and play the three. So that meant they had to find a three that worked and they didn't really have a three that they trusted. Now you've got Struz Your problem, out there. You're saying they have no wings. Yeah, yeah, sure. In this case, it's they have no wings, right? Like they, but now you've got Struz and you have Niang and Niang is like wing-ish, right? He's more of a big that can shoot, but like, I think Mobley, in theory, could play more three if he's able to shoot a little bit better, which will help them. Like, I think he is going to become more versatile. I think that Struess can play anything from two to four if you need him to. Like, he played a surprising amount of power, guarded a surprising number of power forwards last year for the Heat. Um, Niang can play a little bit of small ball five. Like, there's big pros and cons to that, but he can. And, like, what you need is you just need to have weapons available in the playoffs that the other team hasn't seen or can't prepare for consistently. Like you can't run out the same look every day and hope that something changes. It just doesn't work. Um, Sounds a lot like Bill Belichick making teams play left-handed. Yeah, exactly. Like I I think you need to make sure you're ambidextrous in that case. Right. And like the Cavs couldn't do it. And I think that that is something that the Wolves can. And I think one guy we haven't talked about, and I just want to mention real briefly is Nikhil Alexander Walker, I think is going to be his ability to come on at the end of last season. I think if he can carry that over, it's going to be massive because he's another guy who, He's 6'5", like a 6'9"-ish wingspan, I want to say. Um, he is somebody who has turned his career around from, an, like we were talking about Jaden Ivey earlier. Like I think Na is a guy who's a good example of someone who started off as a negative defender for much of his career, would push the issue too much on offense, like trying to force his way in, uh, into a bucket. And I think he's turned his career around entirely to become a 3 and D type guy. And he can play anything from a 2 to a 4. Like he played more power forward for the Wolves last year than I think people realize, particularly once – if. If and when Cat gets injured, let's be honest, Cat's going to miss time. He always misses time. <laughs> Having the ability to have a four that can legitimately shoot, and Jaden, you know, can do some of that too, obviously. Kyle Anderson can do some of that, but Na is a better, more willing shooter, and he's just strong and big enough to play spot minutes at the four. And like those are the kind of like mix and match pieces that I think you have to have in the playoffs way more than you need in the regular season. Do you remember when Kevin Durant was playing in Seattle and they were like, you know what Kevin Durant needs to do? He needs to play the two. <laughs> were you a fan of that? Yes. Um, I, I assumed you were because when you said Mobley needs to play the three, that was the immediate flash that went in my head, KD playing the two in Seattle. And I don't know that he's ever going to be able to shoot enough to do it, but I loved when they had Laurie Markkinen at the three there in Mm. Cleveland and they played all three of them together. I think Mobley is good enough on defense that he could pull it off. Uh, And yes, I I was, I did the Alonzo morning. You said it. I did the no (laughs) head shake. And then I'm like, yeah, no, because for me, it's, are they going to have to get rid of Allen and move Mobley to the five? But if he can get that shooting or yeah, I mean, he'd have to have the shooting really to get the three, unless you just find a knockdown four. And well, uh, that's I don't just not that's Kevin Love anymore. Because when I'm envisioning Mobley at the three, I mean, like you said, like defensively, he can guard threes, I think. And that's going to let them play like Niang at the quote unquote four, right? Four, and then right. offensively, they'll be switched. It'll be Niang will be spacing. Mobley will be a little bit more high post or like low cornered, that kind of thing. But I think because the point is, if he can get to the point where the team is willing to use him in more creative and flexible ways, Niang now is a guy who can come in and allow them to play these different lineups that they couldn't do before. And I think you can go now, very shooting heavy. You could go huge Niang, Mobley, Allen out there as a huge team. Like I, I think that it, they just needed creativity. You, you, say, you say that's a huge, you say that's a huge team. I, the reason they lost last year is because they couldn't rebound a ball. I, for me, the, 
that's my biggest thing is if you're going to play Mobley at the three and have a small four, you know, a small four next to him, or you have to address the rebounding issue because Allen just, he got bullied. And I mean, like he admitted it after the fact, like he, yeah. I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but for me, that's my worry. I guess if playing Mobley at the three with a smaller four is how are they going to rebound? And maybe I just have like, PTSD from the United States recently losing in the World <laughs> Cup because they couldn't get a rebound. But um, I, I like the Cavs. I like what they've done. And I, it's funny for me, like they traded for Mitchell and it just accelerated the timeline so much. It went from, man, this is a fun young team, like the Magic are now, like the Pacers are now, sure, yeah. to immediately we have, we have to get going. Um, before we hop off here, because I got to get running, my PC is about to die. Hmm. In four years, is Donovan Mitchell still on the Cavs? Nobody's ever on the same team in four years. So I'm going to say no. Okay, in two years. I'm going to say, so he's got what, this year? And then he's got a player option for next year. Is that right? I, I believe so. I don't I don't have it up. This is I, me really just riffing off the cuff before I get us out of here. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to say yes. Like, I think he is going to like being the guy. And I think that that team, okay, so he's got this year and next year. And then he has a player option in the third year. So in 2025, 26. So the question is, is he going to pick up that player option or not? Uh, which he obviously won't, right? He's going to turn it down. And will he want right. to stay with Cleveland? Oof, that's tough, man. It, I think it's so his next, right. His well. next contract, do you think he, yeah. he is on the Cavs? And yeah, I'm going tough. to say, I would say no, probably, but that's just playing I'm also the odds. going to say, yeah, I'm gonna say no too because for me, I feel like if they get to if they get to be super successful, I feel like Garland has to has to step forward and Mitchell has to take a step back. Yeah, um, um, and in that case, I don't think Mitchell wants to be there. I don't agree with that a hundred percent. I think there's room for Garland to step forward and Mitchell to stay where he is. Like I think Mitchell is probably a better. People are a little too low on Mitchell right now, I think. I think Mitchell is probably a better player now than Garland will ever be. And I hate saying that because I love Garland. I love watching him play. He's a Vanderbilt guy, so like he's a, a good Commodore, which I always like. Um, but I think that Garland think is about not their going playmaking? to eventually be like a playoff number one guy. Maybe you think Mobley can get there. I'm not as convinced on offense. I think Mobley is going to be more like a BAM type uh, offensively. But like I think Mitchell can be that guy. I think Mitchell's still 27 just turned 27 like a week ago. Um, I think he can be the best offensive player on a team that has huge playoff success. And he's had, he's had some really bad playoff moments, but he's had some really good playoff moments. He's had some insane playoff series too, right? Like it's not, you get all or nothing with Donovan Mitchell. And I, I tend to be a little more optimistic about his ability to perform in the playoffs than most people are. I think. You might be right. I have, he hurt my feelings when he put 70 on the bulls last year. So I'm, I'm, I will just, I will be spiteful and until I go, all right, sure. We're running off basketballpoetry.com, Correct. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Check it out. I actually just wrote a big article about Darius Garland a couple of weeks ago that reached number one on the NBA subreddit. So somebody liked it out there. Uh, you had one about Giddy that got pretty high up there too. I had a good Sheer, one about Giddy. I'm just so happy to be riding the shining star. That is the, the sheer star. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for, for coming on. We're going to hop off here and I'm going to go watch a little NFL. Hopefully my bears can uh, come through against the fucking Packers. <laughs> I'm rooting for thank you for, for your guys' insanity. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh man. It is, it is rough in bear territory. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Parody Strike Commentary. Have a good one. See ya.